Major support for Carolina Business Review is provided by Grant Thornton. Operating in more than 100 countries, our tax audit and advisory professionals specialize in helping companies unlock their growth potential. Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. And Sunoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. Regardless of an expanding or contracting economy, there is no denying the growth of this region we call the Carolinas, over 15 million strong now and growing. The evidence of in-migration and development of new businesses and organizations is more than it's ever been before. But there are those legacy organizations and companies whose DNA itself is intertwined with our own communities here in this region. Welcome again to the most widely watched source of Carolina business policy and public affairs. I am Chris William. Thank you for supporting this program. On this special executive profile, the boss of one of those legacy Carolina companies. It's hard to separate out where the old Duke power stops and the new Duke energy starts, but the amalgamation of many organizations over decades has helped them grow into one of this nation's leading publicly traded utilities. In a moment, we will meet person most responsible for their direction and their fortunes. The chair, president, and chief executive officer, Lynn Good, joins us again. Gratefully acknowledging support by Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, health care, rural churches, and children's services. Bearings, a leading global asset management firm dedicated to meeting the evolving investment and capital needs of its clients. Learn more at Bearings.com. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, an executive profile featuring Lynn Good, Chairman, President, and CEO of Duke Energy. Welcome to our program. Thank you for watching. Madam Chair, thanks for being here. My pleasure, Chris. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, never a dull moment in the electric utility business. So um, let, let me start with one of the headlines. It's been reported that Duke, and this is my term, has an RFP out for Santee Cooper in South Carolina. And you know, the interesting part, and I know you know this, ma'am, but the, the legacy of Duke is actually starts in South Carolina on the Catawba River. So it seems like an old home week when you talk about Santee Cooper. How important would acquiring Santee Cooper be for the larger strategy of Duke? You know, Chris, South Carolina is an important part of Duke Energy. They have been for 100 years, as you noted, and they are today. We serve uh, the upstate of South Carolina and really are very strongly supportive of mm -hmm. the vitality and the growth and the economic development in that region. And so as the state is grappling with what to do with Santee Cooper, uh, we've been engaged really to help the state think about solutions. And those solutions need to meet the state's needs, the customers, mm -hmm. of course, and then of course our investors. So we're pursuing it because we like the state, we uh, you know, have great assets in that region, and we'll just see how it plays out in the legislature. There are a number of things still underway in South Carolina around Santee Cooper. So as I talked about at the beginning of the program, Madam Chair, you know, Duke is this legacy company. It's, it's, it's intertwined, it's part of the DNA. 
Uh, Scanna was like that. So it's interesting to watch in South Carolina now this old line company that had so much blood, sweat, and tears in the state. Now it's Dominion's in your backyard. Um, you're looking at Santee Cooper. How, and with all deference to being a CEO and not asking you any internal forward-looking questions, was the Dominion acquisition of Scana, was that a good deal for South Carolina? Is that a good long-term deal? You know, I think um, the challenges around VC summer, Chris, were something that both Scana was grappling with and South Carolina. And that's been a story that's played out over the last couple of years. And given the magnitude of that investment and the impact on that company, I think you know an acquisition of some sort was probably likely mm -hmm. to occur, and it has. Uh, you know, Dominion is a partner of ours in Atlantic Coast Pipeline, and the industry, uh, utility industry, has long had very strong partnership relationships. Hurricane response, uh, the mutual assistance program that's important to us. So my hope and expectation is we're great partners working for the benefit mm -hmm. of South Carolina. You know, serving customers for a long time. Dominion and the Scana territory, Duke serving. Mm -hmm. uh, the customers that are important to us. In 2018, we talk about hurricanes. Wow. Uh, two major Cat 3s end up in the Carolinas. You've got ice storms. I'm assuming that the losses for any utility, certainly Duke in this case, Madam Chair, were outside the normal distribution of expected annual losses. Uh, for, so first question is, what were the losses? What did you have to incur? Mm -hmm. How do you mitigate that? And, and just maybe a reflection on as you watch storms roll in, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, the, it, 2018 was defined by hurricanes uh, in large measure, Chris, and then we had a little snowstorm in yeah, December I'm sorry, right behind I forgot it. That. Yes, but to to the point that you're making, we had a chance to prepare for both of the hurricanes. You can see them forming off the coast. Uh, an extraordinary impact on the state. Florence in particular, with all the water and the flooding, not only impacted you know, our ability to restore power, but also just think about the families and the, the lives that were affected by that. So our focus when we see a hurricane coming is let's get ready and let's get restoration going as quickly as we can so that we can put people's you know, livelihood and lives back to normal as, as uh, rapidly as we can mm -hmm. safely. So between Florence and Michael, which hit the panhandle and then came up through the Carolinas, we restored probably three million plus outages over a two month period and rebuilt parts of our system in those flooded areas, certainly in the panhandle of Florida. So the total for both storms, not just impacting mm -hmm. the Carolinas, but, uh, but Florida as well, about a billion dollars. And uh, that is above and beyond what we would expect for any storm expense in a given year. I think the good news is that the team responded incredibly mm -hmm. well. Customers were back quickly, and we are going to use this opportunity to think about ways we can continue to strengthen and harden the system. We did find, in fact, that a lot of the grid investment that we put in place in, in, parts, of our, um, in parts of our system, actually, we saw great benefit from mm -hmm. them. We were able to restore power more quickly. We were able to reduce outage um, minutes. And so continuing to invest in infrastructure so that we can maintain that reliability and resiliency is really important to customers. You, you know, it's interesting as I hear you talk about the, the, the reliability and the things that you did prior to this storm that showed some resiliency. I think about Puerto Rico not being queued up for the storm that hit them mm -hmm. two years ago and how it's decimated that power grid. 
has does it does it do these kind of storms lay bare the weaknesses within the power grid that is Duke Energy or those affiliate companies that you interact with? There's no question that you learn things from every storm, and the character of every storm is different. You know, you mentioned Category Three. That's of course different than a Category One, right? You're dealing with wind speeds, but Florence, in fact, with all of the flooding, the character of that storm mm -hmm. was different than Michael. Uh, Florence moved at about two miles per hour. And so, Chris, I'm sitting there that weekend refreshing the weather ra radar, and, and the hurricanes moving. aren't moving. Michael, in contrast, moved through our service territory very quickly. And so you do uh, identify areas where more investment is necessary. But I think it's also important to recognize this is Mother Nature. Uh, that's coming in with a vengeance and you're working as hard as you can to be prepared. There are things you can do to uh, invest in resiliency and reliability, but the character of every storm is different. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Can you get, uh, do you feel like you can recoup some of that investment, go before the public staff in the Carolinas? Do you feel like there will be an opportunity to get some of that investment back? We will, or expense rather. Yeah, we will present all of the costs, Chris, as we do in any regulatory proceeding, so the commission can look at the costs that were spent and request recovery. We're in discussions right now about how can we mitigate that impact yeah. over a number of years? What can we do to lessen the cost? Because that's important uh, to our customers. Do you think ratepayers have the sense? And as I hear, again, as I hear you describe how Duke manages this whole, it's a public company, but a public utility, uh, you think ratepayers understand the process, and certainly it happened with SCANA, is they try to figure out recouping costs for a project that was not successful. Do ratepayers understand that that, has to, that can't be completely borne by the company, but it tends to be a pass-through expense? Chris, the complexity of how a utility operates yeah. and the way we make money and the way we price our product, I think is not generally understood um, by customers. I don't know that they need to understand all of the specifics. That's why regulation is there. That's why you have a utility commission there. That's why you have public staff there. You know, our focus with customers is delight them, deliver a great service yeah. to them, um, respond when they have questions and outages. And if we do that, then we are better positioned as a company to respond mm -hmm. to anything that can come down the road. Uh, I think our industry has been a back of mind industry for a long time. You know us by flipping the switch. You know us when we bill for services and you know us when your power's out. Yet it's so integral to everything that you do. And so, it's an interesting relationship, and what we are learning over time is more engagement with customers, more engagement with stakeholders that are important to our business is just essential. Mm -hmm. And that's been probably a greater focus over the last five years, Chris, than it would have been over the previous 25. So we touched on a couple things, and certainly in the nuclear, when you're upline, the generation of power, nuclear was about 50% of the, of the capacity that you had there. And, and pardon me for my terms, because I'm not going to be that industrial uh, savvy here, but you have nuclear uh, generation, it's now uh, a lot of natural gas, and then it's renewables. Let's talk about nuclear for just a second. So you, as nuclear becomes more costly, less of an option, how do you find talent to replace any talent you're going to lose? First question mm -hmm. there. And then the second part is what is the future of nuclear generation? Mm -hmm. So nuclear is uh, a part of the legacy of Duke Energy, Chris, as you know. Uh, our company was one of the first to bring nuclear power into the U.S., and today we operate 11 reactors in North and South Carolina. We are the largest regulated fleet of nuclear mm -hmm. in the U.S. 
And those plants are under licenses that range well into the 2040s for certain of the units. So we're looking at a remaining you know, license life of several decades. We are uh, an advocate of pursuing additional license time for these nuclear plants because we believe that the option to continue to operate them is extraordinarily important, not only to reliability, but they're a carbon-free source of generation. And so we are trying to very uh, diligently keep those nuclear assets within our mix for as long as we possibly can and attract the talent necessary to keep them safe. And with the size of fleet we have, it is an attractive part of our business and one that we've had good success is from engineers in this area. Apologize. Is it is it hard to get the talent? Is it are there kids that are going into nuclear engineering? Well, nuclear engineering, I would say, has been sort of cyclical yeah. in its in its support at the university. But we can work with electrical engineers. We can work with mechanical engineers. There's extensive training around the specifics of nuclear. And I think about Oconee Station sitting in the shadow mm -hmm. of Clemson University. Uh, the Harris Station sitting in the shadows of you know, NC State. Uh, so we have very strong connections with the universities in this area uh, and broader within the Southeast that gives us a great pipeline of young people. We actually have a program called the Young Nuclear Engineers. It's an energetic group of folks. They have great <laughs> ideas on how to keep the technology alive, how to be more productive. And uh, actually one chapter uh, wrote a book for children on nuclear power and what it means, which um, you know shows some enthusiasm yeah, for no, your technology. It's, it's very exciting. Renewables, if you didn't, and, and again, this is my term, if you didn't have somebody looking over your shoulder about what percentage your power generation has to come from renewable sources, how, how progressive would you be f with renewables? What would it look like? What would you lean into? You should think of Duke, Chris, as a renewable company, because not only do we operate renewable assets within the regulated business, but we also have a commercial business where we are building renewables all over the U.S. And we've been in the business since 2007. So we have been investing for that long, understanding the technology, how does it fit in the power system, what are the economics, mm -hmm. what are the operating characteristics, and how can we best use those assets within a portfolio. And so as I look at renewables going forward, there are economics where applications of those renewables make sense. And certainly there's public policy, to your mm -hmm. point, that is supporting renewables and customers, frankly, uh, from our largest uh, commercial industrial customers to some of our res residential. There's a strong interest in renewable power. So we are always looking for how can we fit that resource within the portfolio of Duke Energy. But I want to emphasize portfolio because uh, solar, uh, in particular, complements nicely with natural gas. Mm -hmm. It'll complement nicely over time with battery storage. The nuclear plants, beautiful thing. They run 95% of the time. So I believe, as we think about a future of low carbon, to have a balanced portfolio that takes advantage of all those resources, that's the fastest, most effective way to lower carbon. And I know there's a lot of talk about wind turbines. Where can we locate? Where can we co-locate? Uh, the the uh, efficiency of photoelectric cells, photovoltaic mm -hmm. cells. Uh, if if the industry could figure out the battery life and a more efficient battery, would would that be a game changer? I believe batteries will be increasingly important to the power system, not only coupled with renewables, but we can use it within the bulk power system for a variety of other yeah. services, just on the, you know, the technique of delivering power. And we are investing in batteries throughout our system today, and I think that'll increase over time. Um, I all, you know, if, given the technologies we have, I do think the bulk power system itself and the benefits that it brings will be very important for a number of years. I don't see a 
complete disconnection to renewables and batteries in the short term. Uh, but it'll be batteries will be increasingly important to the service we provide. And I, and I know as you describe Duke Energy that way, but if you put your hat on as the chair of the Edison Electric Institute, how do you marshal, how do you leverage all of the, the electric utilities in the country to, to think about the same, or are you all in one? Chris, I think you'd be surprised at the extraordinary progress the industries made, not just Duke, but the industry on renewable adoption and on carbon reduction. So we are at 30% reduction, headed to 40%. The industry is only slightly behind Duke on reduction in carbon, mm -hmm. headed to 40% and 50% in 2030, 2040. It's an industry that has embraced this technology. It's an industry that has figured out how to make it work, which is our job, uh, to make it a seamless experience for our customers. Well, and so I'm proud yeah. of the progress that uh, the industry's made. Uh, apologies, because you know, so many times, uh, Ms. Good, you, you make these great points and I want to- <laughs> You want to ask. Well, Jump and I right do want to ask. And so, you know, I think about the renewables and you talk about the Institute's effort to do that. When you let overlay on top of that all of the new uh, momentum around electric vehicles, do all of these different things, and I, let me go back and say this very long question, ma'am. Ten years ago, it was all about, you know, the power grids aging. We need to do something about it now. Is this an ad hoc way to update the power grid through all of the renewable efforts as you described so far? I would describe the grid, uh, Chris, as the, as the network right. that makes all this work. And so if we're going to continue to connect renewables, if we're going to put batteries on that system, if we're going to put electric vehicles, we need to invest in the infrastructure of the grid to make it possible to accommodate all of that. Uh, it's not so much a story of um, you know, aging as it is. We're using it for different purposes. It was designed for big bulk power generating mm -hmm. stations to deliver power to you. Now it needs to take power from a variety of sources. It needs for power to flow two directions. And so we need to continue to update that infrastructure to meet the appetite of transformation that we see in this industry. And so you're going to see you know, ongoing investment in the infrastructure to accomplish these objectives around renewables and batteries and you know, more mm -hmm. solutions for customers. But the, the metaphor of crumbling bridges and, and overpasses, that, would, that, would that be close to what the power grid looked like or does look like? Or is this much more of repurposing of what you say is already embedded? I would say it's more repurposing. Okay. Uh, certainly there's hardening and resiliency investments. We talked about hurricanes a moment ago. That's important. Enabling renewables and distributed energy resources. That's an important investment. Uh -huh. If we're going to provide smarter and more information to customers on power usage, customizing solutions, that's going to take some investment in the grid. And then we're always investing around cyber and physical security because we need to make sure that that power system is able to withstand new attacks that it wasn't withstanding 10 or 15 years ago. So as I talk about all of those things, that's part of the transformation. And so the investment is more directed toward those issues than it is, you know, as you're describing um, you know, the bridges, for right, example. Right. The infrastructure, the hard infrastructure. Does the, if, if everyone in America switched from automotive, from in internal combustion to electric, is there capacity in the system to charge all those cars? We would need to do some things to get okay. everybody converted. Well, yes. my point was I'm being a little <laughs> yes. hyperbolic, but yeah, I think you get my point. Sure, and we plan our system for EV adoption, Chris, and we have been doing so for several years. So we are thinking about what do we need to accommodate by 2025. Mm -hmm. Batteries, of course, are gonna be an important part of that, right? Because you have each car represents a battery storage potential that we could use in certain circumstances. 
And so I think electric vehicles represents a great opportunity, not only for North Carolina, but for the U.S. Transportation is the largest sector that emits carbon today, surpassing mm -hmm. the electric industry. By what factor? I don't know that I can give you a specific percentage. Well, a meaningful it's probably amount. Meaningful amount. Okay. And so if we can electrify vehicles and then continue the great progress that the electric system is making on carbon reduction, there's real potential there. And so we see EVs uh, as something that not, not only is good for the environment, but I think they're fun to drive and, uh, and customers will love them. You know, it's interesting. I was reminded that Bill Coley, former president of, of Duke Power at the time, didn't sit in that chair, but he was on this set, and he said, you know, we think so much about it's so easy to convert to electricity, but we have to be able to generate the electricity. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess I'm going to asking it in a different way because I'm sometimes not smart enough to get it. How is is there enough capacity in a system to charge a lot of cars or the growth of electric vehicles as you see it right now? There's capacity for Without the adoption rate that we see. Okay. And I think, Chris, one of the things you ought to think about is for the most part, a uh, consumer is charging their car at night. Off peak. Off peak. Okay. Uh, so you have capacity off peak. And if you can incent people to charge off peak, you have a beautiful power system sitting right there ready to go. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's there are plenty of opportunities for us to continue to work on the system to accommodate more, but that work is underway. And uh, you know we see great potential. So as you sit here and, and you are so eloquent in describing how Duke has done this, and, and clearly it has uh, under your leadership, what do you think is the single biggest risk and challenge for Duke Energy? Risk and challenge sits everywhere when you operate a large uh, industrial uh, system. But I think the transformation we're talking about, Chris, represents a risk. Am I moving fast enough on new forms of generation? Can I invest quickly enough around the grid? Am I meeting these customer expectations? Their expectations are changing. They want more information. They want more options. And do I have the leadership team? You asked me about talent in nuclear. Mm -hmm. There are talent needs everywhere. Digital re revolution, IT, cyber, all of these things. So are we moving at a pace necessary to achieve the transformation? Do I have a leadership team that's ready to go? These are the things I think about, not as my biggest risk, but the thing I must manage and do well, and Duke Energy mm -hmm. must manage and do well. Do, do, you, do you see 10 years from now that a traditional, and I'll call it traditional as of today, traditional utility like Duke Energy will, will have to be X factor different than it is now and I think of still going in front of public staff, asking for uh, some help in some rate adjustment, making sure as a public company that you file this and that. What what does what a progressive-looking energy company look like in the future? I think the progressive energy company is one that's meeting customer needs. I, I would say that is the bottom line. Okay. And so as our customers continue to transform, they have an interest in renewable energy. They have an interest in more energy efficiency. They may want to self-generate. They may want to generate their own power. They may want more options for me on how they pay their bill, how they engage with me, whether it's by text yeah. or by email or some other technology, social media <laughs> platform that'll be uh, invented over the next decade. I have to prepare my business to meet the needs of those customers. And I do think the change will continue, Chris. Uh, and there's change occurring from customers to generation to the power grid. And I think that pace will continue. Mm -hmm. All of the digital um, you know, tools and techniques that will impact our operations and our interaction with customers. That alone 
is going to change and accelerate. So on top of all that, you have to also look around the corner for the economy. This is this will be most likely the the longest expansion in U.S. history if we make it to June mm -hmm. and continue to expand. How, how do you model? How do you protect Duke? How do you get it ready for another downturn, either from the the revenue, from customers, or just in general? We plan to a conservative economic case, Chris. I think we learned a big lesson back in 2007 and 2008 when, you know, 15% reduction in industrial. I'm not planning for that kind yeah. of shock, but I am planning modestly for growth. So we use a 0.5% growth assumption, and then we look at both our capital and our operating spending to say, where would I check and adjust? if the economy is not as robust as what I'm seeing today. So it's a combination of conservative assumptions, but also looking at tools that we would have uh, to adjust if there is a downturn. Do you feel like you have enough um, uh, flexibility and nimble enough as large as you are to be able to react to maybe a Six Sigma event like 2008, 2009, or even on the upside, if this thing continues for another year? I think on a 2008, 2009, that's gonna be an adjustment. I mean, we yeah. will make, we will take the steps necessary, but that is, you know, a bit of an extreme case. Yeah. Um, we are always exercising the muscle of flexibility. I think about this year, financing a billion dollars of hurricanes mm -hmm. in the middle of 2018 yes. was not something we had planned. We started uh, a couple of years ago with the warmest first quarter on record. And we need to make some adjustments when uh, when you have those types of events. So we're always exercising the muscle of flexibility to prepare, but until you you know see the specifics, you don't have the specific plan together. Uh, you're very nice to join us. Thank you, Madam Chair. But thank you also for uh, tackling some tough issues with us. Uh, best of luck going forward. Of Appreciate course, everyone's that. watching, but still, thanks for doing the job. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Nice to see you. Uh, thank you for watching us. If you have any questions or comments, carolinabusinessreview.org. Until next week, I'm Chris William. Good night. Major funding for Carolina Business Review was provided by the Duke Endowment, Bearings, Grant Thornton, Colonial Life, Sunoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Promotional consideration provided by Business North Carolina Magazine. For more information, visit carolinabusinessreview.org.